Our text this morning comes from the book of Ephesians. And uh, do these belong to anyone? Blue glasses. Ephesians, the first chapter. And we're going to be looking... Basically, the 15 and 16 is what it's turned out to be. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? I'll start reading in um, verse 11. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. In Him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In you, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his Holy Spirit that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? We'll stop our reading there. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. And let's go to prayer and ask God to bless the proclamation of his word for the glory of Christ and for the good of his people this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace. I ask for your help as I preach. Pray for the congregation as they listen, that your spirit, O God, and the spirit of our great God and King, and the spirit, O Lord, who is eternal, Our God, we do pray that you would bless us with your grace and pray that you would help me as I preach. Pray that you would help the congregation to benefit from the proclamation of your word. We do pray if there's anyone here who's not converted that you would see fit to grant salvation and sanctification to us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. We can ask ourselves a question, and that is this. Why are you here this morning? And what do you think about the other folks you were with this morning? The church, not the building. The church is the people. And as the people of Christ, he would have us to live a certain way, to have certain attitudes toward one another, and that is an attitude of love and respect. And yet we know through church history, we know through experiences around us, that there's no church that's perfect. 
and that there are issues in all churches. We know that there are divisions that come between people at times. And we can look back at the scriptures and see that it was taking place in the first century as well. Not just today, but back in the olden days, back when the church was just starting as far as the church of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So in the text this morning, I want us to think about this. What are the things uh, that camper and cripple the church? Holding grudges is one thing. Jealousy is another thing. So these unrepentant sin is another thing that hampers the growth of the church. But I want us to see this morning the Apostle Paul's response to the news of what's happening at the church in Ephesus as far as the saints growing in grace. Our desire for everybody here, for the people that you know, uh, the people that you don't know as well, uh, the people that are visiting, our desire for them should be sanctification. And we should delight in hearing about the sanctification of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and respond in a similar fashion as the Apostle Paul responds here in this text. I say this because as a church, as Christians, we have targets on our backs. All of us do. The Bible says Satan goes around as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He never rests. And uh, it's interesting that uh, he can use anything to bring division in the church. To wear a mask, not to wear a mask. To get a vaccine, not to get a vaccine. And so God's people who were one in Christ came to great disagreements over these matters. So much so, I don't hear, I don't think that happened. But in other places, people even left churches because of the rules to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. It doesn't, it should not be an issue that infects and pollutes the church. So we have to be on our guard. We have to be aware that the goal of the church for all of us is to grow in grace, love to Christ, and love to one another. And that's not something that happens automatically. It just doesn't. Uh, we, by nature, tend to be rather self-centered at times. By nature, we tend to be jealous at times. Uh, by nature, we tend to want to have our way all the time, uh, it seems like. So what do we do? Well, we glory in Christ and in the response of his grace to us as we grow to be like Jesus. So our prayer for one another should be, our desire for one another should be that we grow in the knowledge of Christ and in sanctification. So notice here in the first place that Paul rejoices for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Well, he explains them for this reason why he rejoices for them. He's heard and they responded. They were sealed. They had the guaranteed future inheritance. So he prays for them. And faith, listen to this, faith is always an active thing. Your faith in Christ should affect the things that you do. 
Your faith in Christ should affect the things that you think. Your faith in Christ should affect the habits that you develop. It should be an all-encompassing aspect of your life that influences everything that you think, that you do, and that you say. Here in particular, the Apostle Paul says he has heard of their love for all the saints. And there it is. Ah, there's the rub. They had responded, they had the guarantee, and they had acted upon their profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. It's not enough to hear about Jesus. Not enough to say that was a great sermon or that was an awful sermon. It's not enough to hear the Word of God read and preached and expounded with great accuracy. It is that we have to make a decision about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have to make a decision about the text that we read and hear proclaimed. And our response can only be that of obedience. So the Apostle Paul is grateful for them because they show love to all of the saints, and they demonstrate that love by actions. If you're a Christian, listen to this. If you're a believer, you should be becoming a more loving individual. If you're a Christian, that doesn't mean that you ignore sin. It doesn't mean that you uh, let people uh, talk about you. You have the right to defend yourself. You have the right to defend your name, and you should do that. Indeed, you should do that. But overall, as you grow in grace, you should be growing in love, love for God and love for other Christians. And we must, according to the word of God, love one another and show love to one another and actively do so by helping people who are in need. And the least that they did, he doesn't explain exactly how they showed the love. He just says that he has heard of their love for all the saints. But the least they did was meet the needs of people. They likely promised hospitality. They likely helped people who had financial needs. They likely helped people who were sad, who had lost loved ones. Um, it is amazing, uh, and I'm sure you all know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because I just thought of it. To go to see someone in the hospital, to go to visit somebody and be with them while someone else is in surgery, they really appreciate it. They really do. You don't have to say anything profound. You don't have to say anything at all. But you sit there with them. And it is an expression of love and concern. And people really do appreciate people doing that. And that is one way that we can show love to the brotherhood to help those who are needy. In Acts chapter 4, they said this, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they had sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each that had a need. Now, this was voluntary. This was entirely voluntary. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 4, a case of church discipline. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after you sold it, was it not at your disposal? So he sold a piece of property, kept some of the money, and lied about it. 
Is this what you got for the price of the property? Yep, every penny. How could you tempt God, he says. And you know what happens. He falls down dead. And his wife comes in with the same lie. And she falls down dead as well. Well, there were a couple of problems that these people committed. The first one is that they didn't really love God. They didn't really love God's people. They loved money. Peter was right. The property was theirs. They did not have to sell it. And after they sold it, they could have kept it. Or they could have said, "We got this is not all we got, but this is what we're giving. But they wanted to appear righteous before others. Christ warns about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't say your prayers just to be seen by others. Don't give your alms to be seen by others. Don't pray to be seen by others. Don't fast to be seen by others. When you fast, don't let anybody know about it. And so it was here their motivation for giving was wrong. And the Lord dealt with them because of their sin. Giving of property was entirely voluntary. Giving of money was entirely voluntary, but theirs was tainted. And again, in the early church, this was a way of expressing love toward those who were in need, a financial blessing or a financial help, if you will. And I want to take just a moment to talk about the emphasis the Bible gives to the responsibility we have to love each other. In the Old Testament, the word love appears 383 times in 321 verses. Most of those verses have to do with God's love for his people or our love for God. In the New Testament, it appears 212 times, this English Standard Version, in 183 different verses. In the New Testament, it talks about our love for God and our love for other people as well that there is an enormous stress upon the responsibility that Christians have to love one another. Would Paul say that about us if Paul was writing a letter to Southwest Presbyterian Church and we received it? Would he say this? Uh, I I, uh, do not cease to give thanks for you, for I've heard of your love toward all the saints. How did he know they loved the saints? Well, again, they showed it. They showed it by opening the hand to them. They showed it by supporting them. They showed it by the actions that they took toward the other believers. Faith, as I said a moment ago, has to display itself. We do not want to have a dead faith, as James talks about that. So faith by itself is a dead faith. If your faith that you profess in the Lord Jesus Christ has no impact upon you, has no uh, influence upon you, you simply are not a believer. And that's what a dead faith is. In James, he says, you believe that Jesus is, is God is one, and that's great. The demons also believe that. The demons are better theologians than we are. They are. They hate the knowledge they have of God. They do all they can to thwart God and his purposes. They do all they can to make us stumble and fall. They know who God is. They know who Christ is. They know what he did on the cross of Calvary. They know about the resurrection from the dead, and they hate all of it. They are rather educated in wickedness. And so it is that in the New Testament, the depth of the Christian loves is to be held in a deeper degree. It is raised to a higher uh, height, if you will. We see that in the New New Testament. Uh, 
And why is that the case? Well, it is because could we know the extent and the depth of God's love apart from the gospel and apart from Christ? The answer is no, we cannot. What does Paul say in Romans? His invisible attributes, his power, these things are clear in the creation. It has been made evident to us the greatness of this God who has made all things. But apart from the revelation of Christ in the gospel, we would not understand the depth of God's love for us and the example that Christ sets for us as he was on this earth. What does Jesus say to his disciples? You are to love one another. Even as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And you know, if you're married, and many of you are married, and you get upset with your husband or your wife, and you become angry, and you hold on to it, you're failing to love her as a sister in Christ. Not simply your wife, not simply the vows you took, but you fail to treat her as a fellow believer. And we are commanded to do that. And so when you're angry with your husband or your wife, you recognize this, you're failing to treat her according to the Scripture's mandate. Not simply, again, as a wife, as we know, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, but as a believer. They will know you are Christians by the way you love your wife, or by the way you love your husband, because you're both committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will make it evident by loving them in that fashion. So Christ coming into the world makes an expression of love that is far deeper than what we saw in the Old Testament. Now, were they to love one another in the Old Testament? Certainly they were. As a matter of fact, listen to this. Love is woven into the tapestry of the Ten Commandments. Love is woven into the tapestry of the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments have to do with loving God. The first table of the law. The second table of the law has to do with our loving other people. That the way that we treat them according to the Ten Commandments is to do good for them. Is to do good to them. By not stealing from them. By not taking someone's wife or husband. By not lying about them. By not desiring the things that they have, whatever those things may happen to be. So again, it is an expression woven into the Ten Commandments, expressions of love for God and for one another. What did Jesus say? The greatest commandment, what's that? Well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love then is Something that should characterize you and your relationship to every other believer in the church. He says here, I have heard of your love toward all the saints. You know, some people, I'm not thinking of anybody here. Some people are hard to deal with. That have, people have problems with what I'm thinking of. Emotional problems. Struggling with one thing or another. And you take that on as a part of ministry. And it's challenging to you. You find yourself empathizing so much so that you begin to be affected 
by their trials. But we are told to love the saints. And that is something that is mandated to us. And someone will say, ask the question, well, would, uh, does Jesus really hold us that strictly to these things? Would Christ really ask me to do something I can't do? And I can't really love this person, and I've got all kind of reasons for not doing so, even though they're in the body of Christ. Would God ask you to do something you can't do? Yes. Matthew 5, verse 48, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the context of that is loving our enemies, not simply the brethren. Loving those who would seek to hurt us. Loving those who would seek to harm us in some way or another. And you look at Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Were they seeking to harm him? Yeah. Uh, Did they hate him with a passion? And yet, what does Christ do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So there was not Jesus wishing vengeance upon them. Rather, there was Jesus, Jesus praying for God's well-being upon them. So we have to make an effort, even though it may be difficult for us to put into practice loving all brethren, as we read here in the Scriptures, it's something that we have to do. When was the last time you spoke poorly about someone in this church? I'm not saying you did. If you did, when was the last time you did that? It was wrong. It was wrong. Because it does damage to the body of Christ. We have to be like the Apostle Paul. I have not ceased to give thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers when I heard of your love for all the saints as they were living and acting like believers. Well, We will never be perfect, but we have to strive for perfection. And we have to strive for uh, sanctification. It's a work that God does. Sanctification is a work according to the little catechism, a work of God's grace. But it also involves responsibility on our part. Repentance. Reading God's word, attending unto worship. Uh, Spending time in prayer, all of these things are very, very important in the life of the Christian. Well, what does Paul do in response to this? For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. So rather than ever being jealous, rather than ever being envious, rather than holding the grudge, we should pray for people's well-being. And if you know someone in sin, you pray for God to bring them under conviction. And what does Paul say? He talks about the fact that we need to confront one another at times, but to do so in humility lest you also fall into the same temptation. If you want to open up the door to temptation... If you want to give Satan a leeway into your life, be arrogant. Be prideful. And you are giving him the upper hand in your life. 
And the prideful Christian, unless it's the gospel you're proud of, uh, is an oxymoron. We are called to live in humility. And the more that we learn of God and the more that we learn of Scripture, the more that should cause us to live our lives in humility. So Paul recognizes then that their growth, where they are spiritually, is all owing to the grace of God. If you have grown in grace, and hopefully you have, it is because God has blessed you. He's blessed His Word to your heart. He's blessed the preaching of the Word to your heart. He's given you grace upon grace. And it is proper for us to be grateful to Him. So Paul gives thanks to God for the work that he's done in the life of these believers and the evidence of their faith by loving other people. We can ask ourselves, why is it that we do some of the things that we do in the church? Or why is it you don't do anything in the church? There are needs here. People are hurting. There's work to be done in the life of the church. There's a calling that we all have to labor for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. James made a comment not too long ago talking about worshiping in spirit and truth. He said that some people just worship in spirit. They never come to the building. They never come to church. They worship at home. They worship wherever, but not here. And I know it, is, it's a, it was a great thing to have the closed caption or not the, the uh, TV live streaming, I think it's called, when people couldn't come to worship. And some people still can't come to worship. And I think we need to keep having it. But it's one thing not to be able to come because you're sick or because whatever. And not coming because you simply don't want to get up and get dressed and go to worship. By being here together and fellowshipping together, that's one way we learn what the needs of others are. If you leave here and go home and don't talk to anybody else, and don't fellowship with other people, you can't really know what's going on in their lives. So I would ask you this question then. Are there people, is there someone in this church, and you just can't get over something they did or said to you? You can't get beyond it. Well, you need to do one of two things. Go talk to them because you really want to make it good. You really want to make it right. Or forget it and move on. As the Bible says, love covers over a multitude of sins. So you can do, again, one of those two things. You can go talk to them in love and humility, or you can just move beyond it and forget about it and let it go. You know, when um, I have a cousin who has been plagued with uh, uh, kidney stones since he was a teenager, and I've seen him in pain. I know Charles has suffered from these things. I've heard it was as close a man can come to having a baby. That's, that's only as close as a man's ever going to come to having a baby, by the way, is kidney stones and the pain that they present. 
I talked to my his sister the other day, and she told me that he's having them, and the doctors told him his kidneys are full of stones. You know, when that's not working right, you can't function very well. Some of y'all remember before I had my hip replacement, I limped pretty badly. Thank God, and I mean that in all sincerity, for the advancements in medicine. As I living back, I don't know when they invented artificial hips, but I'd be dragging myself around here had they not had that replacement. Praise the Lord for that. When one part of the body is not functioning properly, it affects what we can do. When one part of the body of Christ is not functioning properly, it affects the church. And if we're not loving one another as we should, it affects the church. Let me ask you this. Do you pray for the people by name in this congregation? Faithfully. To have a list of the people in the church and to know the needs specifically of some, such as our precious Martha, the Bill Combs. They need our prayers daily. And one way that we can show love for them is by praying for them. And that's what we are called to do by God's grace. So we pray, Lord, give me a heart that is full of compassion. Give me a heart that is full of love for the brothers and my sisters and brothers in Christ. Give me a heart that longs to be involved and help in ways that I can. And forgive me, O Lord, for ever being self-centered and selfish. Christ sure wasn't, was he? He is our example. Let's pray.